Well, good morning. It's good to be with you all this morning. I recognize some faces in the audience just from going to church with you or having you to my house for meals or working with you in ministry. So thank you for having me here with you this morning. When you think of people in the Bible that you would describe as faithful, who comes to mind? Do you think of Ruth, who is faithful to her mother-in-law, Naomi? Do you think of Esther, who is faithful to her calling as queen, even though it risked her life? Do you think of Joseph, who, despite his master's wife trying to sleep with him, remained faithful to Potiphar? When you think of people in the Bible that you would describe as faithful, who is someone that comes to mind? The concept of faithfulness is one that we see touched on frequently throughout the scriptures, whether it's through the life examples of the people I've just mentioned, whether it's through Solomon's instructions to his son in Proverbs 3.3, when he says, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Or whether it be Paul's mention of faithfulness as one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Faithfulness is a character trait that God desires for us and in us. Sad reality is, though, that we are not very faithful people when it comes to being faithful to our God. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve were unfaithful by doing what? Eating the forbidden fruit. In Joshua 7, we'll go a little bit harder here, Achan was unfaithful by doing what? Hiding the spoils of war underneath his tent. It's a good story. Go look it up if you don't know it. In 2 Samuel, David was unfaithful by committing adultery with who? Bathsheba, that's right. Hmm. And the list of people who have been unfaithful to the Lord goes on to this very day, to the point that Paul says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Or in other words, all have been unfaithful to the Lord and fallen short of his standards. This morning, we're going to be turning our attention to the one person who was always faithful to God. The one who never once turned his back on God. The one, though he was given opportunities to do so, always remained faithful. And so if you have your Bibles, or on your phone, or the old school version like I carry, uh, feel free to turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. And it's my prayer that as we study this well-known passage this morning, looking at the faithfulness of Christ, that we would seek to follow his example of faithfulness, and in doing so, that we would bring glory to the Father. So if you have your Bibles, please read with me Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, 
If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Our passage begins this morning in verse one by saying, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, when I was a kid, I always thought that Jesus was just going to the wilderness to pray because that's what he does. He goes off on his own constantly throughout the gospels to spend time alone with his father. But when I got to Bible college, it hit me that Jesus didn't go there on his own volition. He didn't go to the wilderness randomly. What does it say in verse one? The spirit led him into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness and he led him there with a purpose. What was that purpose? To be tempted, that he would undergo these temptations. Now, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, I want us to note three things regarding these temptations that Jesus would go through. First, I want us to recognize that God will sometimes lead people, including his own son, into places where they will experience temptations. And it's not that God wants us to crumble under these trials. It's not that he wants us to give in to these temptations. Rather, he allows us to go into those places so that we would be tested, so that our spiritual muscles, if you will, will be exercised and strengthened for future situations that we'll go through. We see James say in James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Allow perseverance to finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, and lacking in nothing. So sometimes God will lead his people into places where they will experience temptation. Second is that we need to recognize the Holy Spirit who's leading Jesus there is not the one who is going to be tempting Jesus. We know this because James also says in chapter 1 verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. And so the Holy Spirit, he is the one leading Jesus into the wilderness, but he is not the one who will be tempting Jesus. And finally, I want us to take note that the temptations Satan plans to throw at Jesus will be aimed at his human nature, not at his divine nature. To try and tempt Jesus' divine nature into sin is impossible because, as we just covered in James 1.13, it's impossible for God to sin. 
And Jesus, as God, would not be able to sin because it's impossible for him to do so. That being said, Jesus was not just fully God, he was also fully man. And so Satan is going to be aiming these temptations at Jesus's human side, at his man side. You see, if Satan can get Jesus to sin in his human nature, then Jesus will not be able to carry out the plan of salvation because he needs to be a sinless, perfect sacrifice. So keeping these three things in mind, let's look at these temptations. In verse two, we're told that after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. You see, Jesus didn't go from his baptism straight into temptations. He spent the 40 days and 40 nights in between in prayer and in fasting, uh, eating nothing, probably drinking nothing other than water. And by the time 40 days were complete, Jesus was hungry. Now, I want us to pause for a moment, and I want us to put ourselves in Jesus' sandals. You've just gone the last 40 days and 40 nights with no food in your stomach. No power shakes, no booster juice. If anything, you've only had water. After 40 days and 40 nights of this experience, would you use the simple word hungry to describe how you're feeling? Probably not. I would guess that we would feel like we were starving by that point. Um, When I was a teenager back in my high school days, our youth group did something called 30-hour famine. Who here has heard of 30-hour famine? Okay. Who here has done 30-hour famine? Okay. Yeah. So basically, for those of you who haven't, 30-hour famine is an event put together by, um, I believe it's World Vision, and you go around, you raise funds that help feed kids in third world countries, two-thirds countries, and then you go and you spend 30 hours at your youth group, at your high school, not eating, so that you can experience what kids around the world experience every single day. Well, after 30 hours, or one day and six hours... I was starving, and I was like, there's no way I could make it 40 days the way Jesus did. Um, And so Jesus would have been hungry, but I think he would have been beyond hungry. As a human, he would have been starving. His, His stomach would have been chewing at his backbone. And so due to his hunger, his physical defenses would be down. His mental defenses would be down. He would be an easy target. So what better time for Satan to slink in and start his temptations when Jesus' defenses are low. Now, we aren't told what kind of form Satan takes in this encounter, but it's apparent that they are dealing with each other in a very personal, if not face-to-face manner. Satan begins this encounter in verse 3, and he says to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, Satan knows he is the son of God, that Jesus is the son of God. There's no question about that. In the Greek language, the word if here is translated to since. So if we were to read this phrase in the original language, it would say, since you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, according to one scholar I studied, the stones that Satan is referring to are the rocks that would have littered the ground in the Judean wilderness. And these stones would have been similar 
to the shape of loaves that Jesus would have eaten growing up. Because Jesus is the son of God, he has the power to turn these stones into bread and satisfy his starving state. Now I want us to pause for a moment and I want us to ask ourselves, how is turning stones into bread a temptation to sin? After all, Jesus turned water into wine and that wasn't a sin. Jesus took bread and fish and then multiplied it into more bread and fish on two different occasions and that wasn't a sin. So how is turning rocks into bread a sin? Well, according to theologian Warren Wearsby, Jesus could have turned these stones into bread but he would have been exercising his powers independently of the Father, and he came to obey the Father. John MacArthur also weighed in on this, and he says that Satan was hoping that Jesus would demonstrate his power to verify that it was real, that 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 would mean violating God's plan, that he had set that power aside in humiliation and use it only when the Father willed. In short, if Jesus turns these stones into bread, he would have been acting with the power that he had set aside when he came to earth. If Jesus turns these stones into bread, he would be using his divine power when the Father did not will for him to use it. In essence, Jesus would be acting outside the will of God. But Jesus knew what God's will was, and it was his desire to stick to it even if it meant continuing to go hungry. Instead of turning these stones to bread, instead of being unfaithful to the Father, Jesus responds to Satan and he says, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want you to look at Matthew 4.4 for a moment. And you're going to see a footnote there. Go to the bottom of the page. What does that footnote say? my Bible, it says Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. When Jesus responds to Satan, he responds by quoting the scripture where Moses was telling the Israelite that their sustenance in the wilderness was not the manna. That's not what truly sustained them. That their true sustenance in the wilderness was their sustainer. And that God is the one who was sustaining them. And Jesus knew that his father would sustain him in his own wilderness experience. He knew that his father would take care of his physical needs. He did not need to step outside his father's will for this to happen. All he needs to do is remain faithful to his father, waiting for his father's provision. Next, the devil took him to the holy city, which is referring to Jerusalem. And he set Jesus on the pinnacle of the temple. And he says to him, if you are the son of God, or since you are the son of God, Throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Satan brings Jesus to the temple, and he leads him up to the pinnacle, which is referring to like the high point on top of the temple, basically the temple roof. And it's thought that where he led Jesus was overlooking the Kidron Valley below, approximately 450 feet Up there, Satan tells Jesus to jump. Jump off the edge. Since you're the son of God, surely God will protect you. Since you're the son of God, surely he will take care of you. After all, do not the scriptures say that he will send his angels in 
to guard those who concern him. And what Satan does here is he's taking a card from Jesus's playbook. Satan is now the one quoting scripture. And what he's doing is he's quoting from Psalm chapter 91, verses 11 and 12. Satan says, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. At face value, it seems like Satan is supporting his temptation with scripture. But if you go to Psalm 91 and you look at verses 11 and 12 in their proper context, because context always determines meaning. If you look at Psalm 91, 11 and 12 in their proper context, you will see that Satan did not quote these verses in full, that he actually left out a part of a verse. And in doing so, he is twisting scripture to make it say what he wants it to say instead of what God intended it to say. So what portion did Satan leave out? It says here, and I don't know if you can read the red there, but he will, Psalm 91, 11 and 12 in the full context says, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And it continues with verse 12. Satan left out the part to guard you in all your ways. Psalm 91, in its proper context, in its application, is for those who abide or dwell within the will of God. Those who dwell or abide within the will, within the will of God can expect to receive this kind of protection. But if Jesus goes and throws himself off the top of the temple... If Jesus goes and commits suicide, well, that's not in the will of God for anybody. And so he should not expect to receive this kind of protection. And so even though Satan knew the scriptures, Jesus knows them better. And he responds to Satan's trick and he says, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. If Jesus jumps off the roof of the temple, not only would it be outside of God's will for his life, but it would also be putting God to the test, testing God to see, will he protect his son? Testing God to see, is he powerful enough to save his Messiah in this way? Testing God to see if he would uphold his promise in protecting his people. If Jesus throws himself off the roof of the temple, he will be testing God. And Jesus knew that to test God would be unfaithfulness. To test God would be a sin. And so he responds as he does the first time by quoting the word of God. The passage continues with the third temptation in verses eight and nine. And there we're told that the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And Satan says to Jesus, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Now, we're not told which mountain Jesus and Satan are standing on, but it's a mountain that would have been much higher than the Temple Mount. And it would have allowed him to see far beyond what he could have seen on top of the temple. Some scholars think that Satan shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in a vision, allowing them to pass by in front of him one at a time so he could see them in their wealth, their splendor, and their glory. And after showing Jesus all these kingdoms, Satan says to him, 
I will give you them all. I can make you king of them all if you would just bow down and worship me. Now, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that Satan is currently the god of this world, lowercase g. Satan currently has control over the world, blinding the world. And this enables him to offer Jesus these kingdoms because they're currently in his control. That being said, Satan is not the first person to offer Jesus these kingdoms. In Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9, it was prophesied, God spoke through his prophet that one day Jesus would be king of the world and he would reign on the new earth. And so ultimately, these kingdoms that Satan offers to give Jesus have already been offered to him in advance by his father. Where the catch lies in the situation is that if Jesus takes Satan up on his deal, Jesus could be king of the world right there, right then. He won't have to wait. And even more importantly, Jesus could become king without having to go through sacrificing his life on the cross, as laid out in Isaiah 53. In short, what Satan is doing here is he is offering a plan that cuts corners. All Jesus has to do is bow down and worship Satan. But if Jesus bows down and worships Satan, then the plan of salvation goes out the window. You see, according to Paul in 1 Timothy 1.15, the reason Jesus came was to save sinners. But in order for him to save them, he has to die as that faithful, perfect, sinless sacrifice. And if he bows down, if he worships Satan, he's no longer being faithful to his father. He's no longer sinless. He can no longer be that sacrifice. And that means that no one could be saved. That's exactly what Satan wants. Satan wants to wreck the plan of salvation here. And so he makes Jesus an offer where Jesus can receive the title of king right now. All he has to do is sacrifice the title of savior. And it's here where we see that Jesus has had enough. Jesus knows the plan of salvation and he knows that it includes his death. And even though it's going to hurt, Jesus desires to remain faithful to his father, even if it means sacrificing his own skin. And so with a mighty blow, Jesus swings the sword of scripture one final time. And he says to Satan, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And at this, we're told that Satan left him and the temptations ended. This doesn't mean that Jesus was never tempted again. I'm sure that he was tempted for the duration of his life on earth. But for this little season in the desert of temptations, it is now over. And once the devil left, God sent his angels to minister to Jesus and tend to his needs. In his perfect timing, God took care of his son. And through it all, the son remained faithful to the father. Now, there are three lessons that I want us to take from Jesus's faithfulness in this passage. Three lessons to put into application this week. And the first lesson is Jesus's motivation for faithfulness. Jesus remained faithful out of a desire to obey his heavenly father. Time and time again throughout the scriptures, Jesus explains 
what his purpose was in coming to earth. It was to do his father's will, to live in submission to his father's plan, to remain faithful to the father at all costs. In John 4.34, Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In John 6.38, Jesus says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And then in Luke twenty-two forty-two, Jesus prays in the garden of Gethsemane, knowing that his death is imminent. And he says, not my will, but your will be done. This was Jesus's desire in his life, to be faithful to the father, to do the will of the father, to live in obedience to the father, because he knew that in his faithfulness, his father would receive the glory Now, we are going to be brought into times of temptation. I'm guessing that all of us have experienced temptation even in the past week. And in those times where you are tempted to be faithless to the Father, may our motivation echo the motivation of Christ. May we have a motivation to be faithful to the Father out of a desire to obey Now, this is not a desire. Faithfulness is not something that we can produce in ourselves. It's something, though, that the Holy Spirit can produce in us. That's why Paul says one of the fruits of the Spirit is faithfulness. It's something that he develops within us. And so when you go into those times of temptation, and you know you're being tempted, you know what it feels like, stop in that moment and pray, Father, would you help me to be faithful? Holy Spirit, would you be cultivating that fruit in my life in this moment so that I would not give in to temptation? And then watch as the Holy Spirit works. Jesus remained faithful out of a desire to obey the Heavenly Father. And the Holy Spirit can help us to do the same. The second lesson is seen in Jesus' method for remaining faithful. Jesus remained faithful by responding with the word of God. Every time that Satan comes at Jesus with a temptation, Jesus responds with, it is, it is written. It is written, it is written, it is written. He goes and he quotes the powerful, authoritative word of God. And because the word of God is powerful and because the word of God is authoritative, Satan has to submit to it. And Jesus isn't using Bible verses as magic spells here. He's using Bible verses as a sword. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 6 that the word of God is the sword of the spirit. And it's the only piece of the armor of God that's used as an attack on the enemy. Now, we know that Satan is a roaring lion prowling around, seeking to devour us, seeking to try and make us be unfaithful to our God. But the reality is that Satan doesn't make us unfaithful. Satan doesn't make us sin. We always have the choice in those moments as to whether or not we're going to be faithful to God or be unfaithful. And again, that's in those moments where we need to cry out to the Holy Spirit and ask for his help. Because so often I think, you know, the Holy Spirit, he's dwelling in us as Christians, but he remains an untapped resource that we don't go to when we should He's just waiting for us to ask for his help because he will. So when you find yourself in those positions where you are tempted to sin, where you are tempted to be unfaithful, 
you remember, you have not been left defenseless. You've been given the Holy Spirit, but you've also been given the word of God. The word of God that we are called to hide in our hearts. And in those moments where that unfaithfulness seems really tasty, that unfaithfulness seems that's the way I want to go. The Holy Spirit will bring the word of God to mind so that you can use it as a sword. But in order for the Holy Spirit to bring the word of God to mind, you have to have it in your heart first. Now, we all know what our own personal struggles are. We all know where we're tempted. And so those are the passages you need to look up. If you're tempted with lust, you go find passages about lust. What does the Bible say about this? Put it in your clip. For those of you who are hunters, you put a Bible verse in like a 22 shell. Then when Satan comes, you unload that 22 shell on the devil. (laughs) Maybe your temptation is gluttony or sloth. Go find Bible verses that talk about that. Load up your clip so when the devil comes at you, you unload the clip on the devil. The Holy Spirit will help you in that process. But in order for him to help you, in order for him to bring those Bible verses to mind, you have to hide those Bible verses in your heart first. And so we can be faithful to the Lord in those times of temptation by responding with his word and his Holy Spirit will help us do so. The final lesson I want us to take from here is seen in Jesus's victory over temptation. Because Jesus remained faithful, he was able to be a sacrifice for all who are not. From before time began, God knew that mankind would be unfaithful. He knew that faithfulness is something we would struggle with on a daily basis. He knew we would give in to temptation. He knew that we would commit a plethora of sins. He knew that his relationship with mankind would be severed. And so that's why he came up with a plan to remedy it all. The gospel. We all know John 3.16. But they say that we need to daily preach the gospel to ourselves. And so John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Had Jesus given into temptation at any point during his life on earth, had he been unfaithful, even for just one second, then we would all be lost for eternity because Jesus would not have been able to be that perfect sacrifice and no one else could have been that perfect sacrifice either. And yet Jesus remained faithful. And so may we respond to his faithfulness in thanksgiving and praise thanking him that he was never unfaithful, thanking him that he was always faithful to the Father because in doing so, he could be our perfect sacrifice. As you guys go from here this morning, may you seek to model the faithfulness of Christ in your lives. On your own strength, this will be hard. But with the help of the Holy Spirit and him producing it in your life, it will be possible. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word, and I thank you for how you speak through your word and how your word has the power to change our lives. And Jesus, we thank you that you did remain faithful in all your time on earth, and because of that, you can be our perfect, you were our perfect sacrifice. And Father, faithfulness is something that your spirit develops within us. On our own, we will fail every time. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be developing that fruit in our lives. 
so that we would act on it, that we would be faithful to the Father, and so that in all things, that he would receive the glory. Father, I pray for the staff and students here at Prairie College. Lord, would your hand be upon them? Would you continue to grow them in their walk with you? Father, that their lives would be changed in this school year, that they would go out and be your lights and your witnesses, that the kingdom would grow on account of their efforts, and that in all things, Lord, you would be glorified. We love you and we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Okay, well, there's your signal. Have a great rest of the day, you guys. Stay warm out there.